Hey guys, how's it going? Uh, welcome back to the Noobs Podcast. Uh, this is our episode five already uh, with Sean Powers. And uh, what are we talking about today, Chuck? Sean is a good buddy of mine. He's a Linux guru, and he has one of the most interesting and challenging stories I've ever heard. The dude got in a car crash 23 years ago and literally forgot everything before that time. And he had to relearn his entire trade, which includes Linux. Um, it was a pretty crazy story, right? It was it was insane and incredibly inspiring. I think it'll be good for anyone who is even now at a point in their life that they want to change careers that even if you were to forget everything and start over, it's possible. Yeah, I mean, because like everyone's at one point going to have to start from zero and learn IT, whether that's when you're young or you're right now wanting to make a career change because your job sucks. Mm-hmm. Sean's a really good example of that because he was very uh, he he was already an IT guy and then he forgot everything and had to start from scratch. He didn't even know how to turn a computer on, mm-hmm. which is kind of crazy. Um, but Sean is also more than just a, a guy who had to relearn things. He's also a fellow CBT Nuggets instructor with me, where we taught how to do IT stuff. He was the resident Linux guy, and now he's doing some really, really fun stuff on his YouTube channel. And we talked about some crazy stuff, like crazy. Um, stuff that we didn't even know about. Yeah, like crypto stuff. This thing called Filecoin and IPFS, dude. We nerded out hardcore in this, so <laughs> you're in for a treat. Um, Sean's a fantastic guy and um, very interesting guy. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my uh, good friends from CBT, and uh, yeah, you're gonna have a good time. So let's get right into it. Sean Powers. Uh, I've known you forever. We've been friends for a long time. Uh, but for those that don't know who you are, who are you? Um, I am, gosh, I, isn't it funny <laughs> that we usually define ourselves by our jobs, right? Like, well, yeah, I am a person who did this and this and this. So I will try to do it the, the correct way and say, I am a husband and a father. And um, my kids are grown now. I, I It's amazing how old I'm getting. I have three adult children. And um, my eldest just found out she's pregnant. I'm going to oh, be a grandpa. Congrats. congrats. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. So, oh my uh, gosh. I, gosh, I've been, I'm a Linux guy. Um, but more than that, I'm just a tech guy who Linux is my tool of choice. And as I talk through the podcast, it'll maybe make some more sense why, but, uh, I trained at CBT nuggets, uh, before and after Chuck for a while. Mm-hmm. I'm no longer a trainer at CBT nuggets, but, um, now I'm, I'm doing training on YouTube. Apparently, I followed in your footsteps, my my hairy-faced <laughs> brother. Um, uh, but yeah, that's uh, that tech tech-wise or job-wise, that's it. I mean, I, I've done all sorts of things. I was a I was a manager of a Microsoft database department at a university. I was the tech director at a K twelve school for like twelve years. Um, I ran tech support. I mean, you have to, right? If you're in IT, that has to be your your first job running tech support. But my tech support was um, for dial-up internet users using Trumpet Winsock. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I saw a, um, a T-shirt trying to be like GoFundMe a-, a while back, and it was a Trumpet mm. Winsock joke. But no one got it. I mean, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't get it. You know, yeah. <laughs> see, and I watched the, the video that we did like back when we were both trainers, right? When we, were, we met at headquarters and, and you interviewed me. And the Trumpet Winsock thing came up there, and, and nobody in the comments, I don't think, at that point, new either. So no, anyway, no, it is now, what it is. It's a dinosaur thing now. So if you know about yeah. it, talk about it in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> Date yourself real quick. It's going to um, be somebody in all caps who doesn't really know how the internet works. <laughs> well, they have to type in all caps because they can't see the the text they're writing. Yeah. Maybe that's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Sean, I wanted to have you on because first of all, you are like the Linux guru. But I think the reason you are a Linux guru is probably the most interesting story I've heard ever. 
and uh, and nowadays, you know, everyone's learning Linux because now it's just a part of IT everywhere. That hasn't always yeah. been the case. You could get away without learning Linux, but now, no matter what job you have in IT, Linux is going to be there. So I think as people are like, oh my gosh, Linux sounds really scary and overwhelming. I think hearing your story and back when you had to learn it, which was much harder back then versus mm -hmm. how it is now, they're going to be inspired by this. So I want to jump straight into that, your origin you story, because that... And and also like we're kind of on the anniversary of that. It was a few days. It ago, is, right? yeah. That was what I was gonna say. Yesterday, actually, what? So today is the third of March, right? Yeah. I think so. Yes. Yeah, third of March. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure that I right. So yeah, yesterday was twenty three years ago. On yesterday, wow. I had a car accident, and it wasn't even a major accident, to be honest. I was alone. I live in northern Michigan, so the roads were icy, but they weren't even that icy. It wasn't that bad, and I went off the road. Nobody knows why. My head went through the side window, you know, the passenger side window of the car. And I don't remember anything before that. My entire life was just gone. I, I woke up literally shaking from the cold in a car covered in glass. No idea who I was, why I was there. Uh, it, it was strange. It was strange. And that's uh, that's kind of how my, my story in IT began. I was, so the, the tech support job that I talked about, the, the answering the phones, I was doing that before. It's actually on my way to that job in my car. And I had a cell phone and I had a briefcase, oddly enough. I still can't imagine that being a thing, <laughs> but I had a briefcase on the seat next to me and a cell phone. And it was, uh, man, this is the date Sean show apparently, but I had a cell phone that, uh, it wasn't really a flip phone. It was like a, a candy bar phone that like the mouthpiece opened up, like flipped down. It was oh, the yeah. latest technology ever because it was the very first digital cell phone. Like most cell phones at that point were analog. And uh, this was a digital cell phone. And the coolest part was outgoing calls were free for the first minute. Now I know now, you know, minutes and talking <laughs> is nothing, but that was huge, man. So anyway, I, my phone was open when they found me. I was apparently trying to make a call or answering a call or something. Briefcase is open. I had even worse coffee than this that had dumped all over my lap. It was gas station pumpkin spice cappuccino. So oh, not, not just pumpkin spice cappuccino. This is the powder stuff in the gas station. You well, not, not to make light of the situation, but I think we found the reason for the crash. Yeah, it could have been. It was just <laughs> depression. It was, you know. Uh, so it, to this, it's funny. To this day, the smell of that gas station cappuccino just is it's disheartening. It just bothers me. It just gives me all sorts think, of heebie-jeebies. I think so. it's just normal for anybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's fair. Now maybe it's just the, the exposure to the fumes there. But anyway, so uh, I, my first memory was actually in uh, an ambulance. I was looking up at a guy named Steve, first person I ever met, guy named Steve, the ambulance operator. I was poked full of IVs. Glad I don't remember getting those. They were already in when I now, when I was now, born. If you, if you don't mind, like so, yeah. I, just, I just want to point this out because, like, when you first told me, I had to ask you like this same question. You did not. You still to this day don't remember anything before that crash. No, it, it, that's a complicated no. Uh, in fact, it's it's even more complicated since we last talked about oh, it. So let's unpack that. So yeah. it's it's a it's a qualified no. Maybe that's the thing, and. Um, so when he, yeah, I went to the hospital, I, uh, I had a wedding ring on. Um, so I figured I was married positive. I didn't have any kids. I don't know why I was positive, but I was positive. I didn't have any kids and, um, a couple, you know, they didn't know who I was and, and couldn't get a hold of anybody. It was, it was just a weird situation. It turns out I was married and I did have a two year old daughter, which was, is still awkward for me to say, sorry, 
you know, Amanda, I don't remember you <laughs> at all. <laughs> You're being born. Uh, now she has, now she's the one that's pregnant. So, um, she has forgiven me and still talks to me. So anyway, uh, that, uh, yeah, I eventually came back from the hospital. They said, oh, it's just swelling. You know, you'll get your memory back. I mean, this kind of thing happens. You hit your head and, you know, there's some swelling. You don't see anything dangerous. You know, they gave me all sorts of like CT scans and stuff. And we don't see, we see some minor uh, swelling and maybe some sort of damage, but nothing bad. And uh, it'll probably take a day or two and, you'll, you know, everything will just come back. And so they, my wife took me home and it, we were actually having really rough times. I was, um, I don't know how much of this I told you in the last time, but we were having actually marital issues and my wife was very pregnant with our second child. Uh, we were living in my mother-in-law's house, uh, sleeping on a mattress on the floor. It was a, it was a rough, it was a rough wow. time in my life. And then after the car accident, I, um, I didn't, I didn't remember anything, but I remembered, I didn't remember, but I could do things. For example, my wife brought me home. And I'm like, I don't, I don't recognize anything. I don't know any of this. And then I saw the computer that was sitting there. And I'm like, oh, oh, can you make this go? I can make it so that I can type something. And she's like, yeah. And so she opened up, I don't know what she opened up, but she opened up something like, oh, I can type like the wind. It was amazing. Right. <laughs> I still could touch type without any problem. Uh, couldn't open a program. Didn't know what program I was <laughs> needing to type with, but uh, yeah. So things like that. Um, I could, I could sing along with songs on the radio. Weird. I could so I could wow. tell you who the president was. I could not tell you who I voted for because I didn't remember any of that. Uh, I, so I didn't remember personal things, but I remembered strange factual things. And apparently the brain stores information differently. And um, yeah, one of my ranch chips was just knock loose. So, <laughs> do, do you think that like your personality may have changed? So normally it does. I mean, you can imagine over the past 23 years, we've done a lot of like research and stuff on that. Mm. And uh Normally, people's personality changes. Oddly enough, uh, everybody I know says no, not at all. I've always been this weird. It was uh, yeah, that. That's not a. That's not a. That's what I was getting to. <laughs> yeah, you were hoping for a reason. Like it's okay, guys. It's there's a reason. He's Gotta so make sense of things in the world here. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Sean is a wonderful man. Um, that so that that's terrifying and crazy. Yeah. Uh, and you, so you didn't remember your wife. You, you assumed you were married. You didn't remember your kid, which is so insane because yeah. you, i mean you'll find cameron's about to have a, a, a his first child here mm -hmm. soon congrats that's Thanks. a that's a momentous occasion like that's yeah, that's stuck in your brain forever i couldn't imagine for, for forgetting the process like finding out you're pregnant yeah. baby shower figuring out all that stuff oh, and yeah. forgetting all of that even forgetting the birth itself would be really strange and I guess yeah, what, what's mm -hmm. what's most fascinating about this for me is like i mean you are a product of your experiences but you barely remember. I mean, you said it's different now, more complex. But I'm assuming at the at the point where right after you had the yeah, crash, yeah, I still don't remember. You didn't you didn't remember a lot of the stuff you, that made you who you are. But you still yeah. are who you are, which is crazy to me. That's yeah, that's it is really bizarre. It it it's strange. And um, yeah, and so yeah, I, I mentioned it in passing. But too, my wife was like seven months pregnant. Well, let's see, it was March, April, May, June, July, August, five. So I guess she was five months pregnant, which is pretty pregnant, to be honest. I mean, that's yeah. you know, yeah. five months is pretty pregnant. And so uh, she actually had to go back to work bussing tables at a local restaurant because I was agoraphobic. I couldn't leave the house. I uh, I didn't sleep for two months. And if you're a if you're a sleep person, you're thinking, well, that's not possible. If you don't sleep for that long, you go crazy. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was <laughs> it's true. Also, didn't sleep for two months. <laughs> oh my no, gosh. it it was um, oh, it was just it was a rough time. But 
the good news is because of that and because the the car insurance that I had denied my claim, uh, so they didn't get me any help or any any rehabilitation or anything. Yeah, that was that was pretty crappy, to be quite honest, um, because it was cold. When the ambulance found me, I was shaking because I wasn't wearing a coat. I was shaking. And the ambulance said um, or the report said, like, uh, he's shaking, possible seizure. Well, they did all the scans. I did not have a seizure. Absolutely no. It's not like maybe he didn't. I just did not have a seizure. Apparently that shows up on your brain scans. And, you know, I didn't. But the insurance company denied my claim. And so I didn't get any help. I didn't get any therapy. I didn't get any rehabilitation. I didn't get anything. Wow. But, again, all things all things happen for a reason, I guess. And that is why I decided after like six months of just rehabilitating at home and like, Oh, I can go outside now. That's, that's nice. Um, I need to be able to do something with my life. Right. I mean, I have a family to support here Mm -hmm. and I started relearning my trade, but I couldn't afford anything. Right. My wife is literally bussing tables to pay for bills. So all I could afford was Linux because it was free. Now, what, and year, so, what year was this that you were dealing with all this? Uh, 1999. 1999. So, okay. 1999. So the internet yeah, was still a... very, very young, uh, and we were still dealing <laughs> with floppy disks and things like that. So Yeah, yeah. So I, I learned with floppy disks. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, I installed, you know, the uh, – I again, I it's, it's a long time ago. I think that was about the time of the Halloween version of Red Hat, which was, like, one of the really famous versions. But, yeah, installing – uh, Linux over and over and ruining a Windows install as I messed up the boot sector and all that kind of stuff. I learned from the school of hard knocks because hard knocks is all I had. And so, um, now I'm curious, I, I don't think I asked this last time, but, um, so you had to relearn your trade, right? So, I mean, how much mm-hmm. of your trade did you remember? Uh, did you remember anything besides touch typing? No, uh, it's, it's really bizarre. I, I think, um, so no, none of the stuff that I did, like how to do Unix stuff. I mean, it was, uh, all the internet stuff that I was doing tech support on was Unix-based, like this huge array of ISDN lines split up over, or no, a T1 line, fractional T1 split up over a whole bunch of literal modems that, you know, had phone lines coming in. I didn't remember how to do any of that stuff. Mm. Um, uh, but the troubleshooting skills and the the know-how to figure stuff out, like, I mean, you guys are both IT people, right? Mm. And so you know that the skill is not... Um, the rote memorization, mm-hmm. the skill is to be able to use those tools that you have to accomplish something. And thankfully, the ability to utilize tools, that came back pretty quick. Right? I could I could troubleshoot like, oh, I messed up my hard drive. You know, now what? You know, and yeah, partially because I didn't have any other choice, you know, <laughs> I had to figure it out. But like most people, uh, when, when they encounter like an issue, they're like, oh, yeah, I don't even know where to begin with that. Right. They don't have that troubleshooting methodology that we just we learn over time and it's a skill we have. So that's, that's amazing. You still had that. Yeah. But what I'm curious about is like, how did you know where to go for Linux? How did you know that was the free mm-hmm. cheap option? Because most people still to this day are like, wait, what's this Linux thing? Or how did you find Linux back in 1999? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, that was a luck on my part i mean i know it doesn't seem like a lucky story but it was luck because i um like i said i was working on a unix system that i think that i learned the unix system on the job like a guy that hired me is like okay this is what you got to do and you got to log in here so i knew uh that if i wanted to get my old job back which at that point i was like hey it'd be nice to have a job again so i'd love to get my tech support job back i need to learn unix but i couldn't even afford unix i don't know why i didn't go with FreeBSD. to be quite honest uh I think Linux and Unix were about the same popularity-wise, but Linux, 
Gosh, it might even have been that there was a Linux book at the library. I honestly don't remember what made me choose Linux over FreeBSD. Uh, but that's the reason I went with the Unix route is just because I had been working on tech support and I knew if I ever wanted to do that again, I had to be able to do something uh, how, how related. Did, how did your job handle that? Like when they found out they're like, hey, we have this guy who's a tech support guy and now he just forgets. He doesn't know anything mm. about his job anymore. Like how did they handle that? So I, I didn't work directly. The, the ISP was a local community college. And I didn't work directly for the community college. I worked for a company and the company was contracted to do support. You know, so like my boss wasn't really the person at the college. My boss handled it really well. Actually, he's uh, still a friend, a Facebook friend. You know, he'll still comment on stuff. I, I posted yesterday, like, it's the 23rd anniversary. And he commented, holy cow, I remember that. And I said, wow, way to brag. I don't. <laughs> uh, but... Uh. So he was my boss. He was great. I mean, you know, he didn't pay me anymore. I mean, it was, you know, I couldn't work. Right. But he was, he was great and was a, you know, a great person. The college though, this is actually still gets my gizzard a little bit. Uh, the next year, later on in the story, foreshadowing here, I got an incredible job at a, at a local K-12 school as a tech director. Right. And when the school was checking my references and past jobs, they called the college and the guy in charge of the college, whose name I won't say, but I really want it because he's still really uppity and really mm. popular. He said, if you hire Sean Powers, it'll be the worst mistake you've ever made. Whoa. Just because I stopped coming to work after I had a car accident and forgot my life. So, what the yeah. Heck? I, I, out of all the excuses, that's one of the better I've heard. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I, I didn't know I had a job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Like, oh, I didn't know you hired me. So, yeah. Yeah. I got the job anyway. But that was, um, people take it both ways. So, like, a lot of people didn't believe me. Um, oh, sure. You forgot everything, huh? Like, yeah. No, really, I just want to sit home and do nothing and, you know, sleep on a mattress on a cement floor. That's that's really my goal in life is to <laughs> be that guy. So I made this all up now. It was, um, yeah, it, it's been a mixed bag how people how people received it. But, you know, I, I could have let that define me, right? I could have mm -hmm. could have said I had a horrible car accident, so now I'm going to uh, – you know, whatever that means, you know, I'll live on state assistance and I'll, or I'll, you know, who knows what, but I didn't want that to be the case. I, I, I wanted to work. I wanted to support my family. So I relearned Linux of all things. And then, then I did not go and try to get my job back at the college or work for that guy. Actually, the guy that I worked for ended up selling his business, but I didn't try to get that job back. I applied for a job that I would never get because, you know, they say like, apply, like dress for the job you want and apply mm. big and, you know, just go for it. And I did. And the local school district was hiring uh, a technology director for like the entire district, you know, K-12 school. And I put in my application. And because I was local, they agreed to interview me. And I'm sure nobody expected to, you know, that they would hire me. Uh, but I apparently interviewed really well. And they hired me. There was there were lots of uh, uh, circuit breakers in the thing, right? I, I was hired on the condition that they could fire me at any moment with no, oh, wow. <laughs> I was on probation. I was all these things. <laughs> like you're already a nice guy. Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like we heard that it'll be the worst mistake we've ever made. Mm -hmm. Um, but that boss, uh, the guy, the superintendent who did hire me again, still a friend of mine, pretty close friend. I really like him. His name, I will say Dale Rieger, great guy. Um, he, uh, he took a chance on me and it worked out well. I was there for 12 years. So now this is just a random thought in my head, but I'm curious, mm -hmm. do you still list the experience from before your accident on your resume? <laughs> and does it count? Do you, I have to be honest. I haven't created a resume <laughs> since I uh, left that, that job. And I, 
I honestly don't remember. Probably not. Probably not. It was probably, uh, oh, because I did it. I did a couple other things. Let's see. Uh, they were all before my accident. That's why, that's why I forgot to mention them. <laughs> <laughs> we can't do that um, all day. <laughs> but yeah, I like had a, I had a computer business of my own power net computer services. And if you're thinking I've never heard of that, <laughs> right. <laughs> a lot of things, business guy is not one of them. Uh, so I, you know, I had clients and I did all their work. Real estate, um, places was, were kind of my bailiwick. So I did a lot of real estate computer systems and networking. Um, but yeah, I, I would not put that on my, my resume. I don't think No, I, the school was a, my first career job. And so that's like the first one you put on there. Right. Yeah. So they hired you to be the technology director for the school district. What yes. Were, what were you actually doing? What, was, what did the job entail? Eh, boy, uh, it was a wide open job description. It was the kind of job description that you know means we don't really know, but we need you to make everything work. Mm-hmm. And that's I mean, pretty I mean, much the, what it was. This, Anything this was that. 2000, right? This was 2000. Yeah. In yeah, fact, so like, February of 2000. Probably when 11 schools, months after schools the Schools are probably really trying to now embrace technology, and they're just like, we just need someone technical. Mm-hmm. They had just gotten uh, a bond like two years previous. I don't know if you're familiar with school bonds, but it's yeah. basically, okay. So they just got a big lump of money uh, two years previous, two or three years previous. And whenever the original iMac came out from Steve Jobs, like the blueberry one, mm-hmm. whenever that happened, they had just gotten a bond because they bought a crap ton of those, right? Oh. All over the school. Oh, wow. So not, but, so I, I pictured a Windows environment. That's what so I was thinking. A Unix no, it was a Macintosh environment. Yeah. Yeah. Remind me of that because I'll tell you about the interview part there too. But um, so they got all this equipment, but in the bond, they didn't do a whole lot of maintenance planning. And so after about two or three years, computers started to break down and need to be replaced and, and fixed and networking gear was wearing out. And I mean, it was all 10 megabit hubs and that wasn't really doing it anymore. And um, so the person who I replaced left <laughs> and I inherited no money, tons of equipment that needed to be fixed, and a platform that I knew nothing about. Uh, in fact, it was a complete Macintosh school district. Uh, this is before OS X, so it's not Unix. It's it's Mac OS. Oh, I mean, this is, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I, I totally forgot that, yeah. yeah, Unix wasn't introduced until OS X10. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Did you at least have like a centralized, like, was the X-Serve around back then? Or that, that's what they called it. Apple server was the X-Server? Oh, no, that's way after OS X even came out, XServe. Um, yeah, so no, we, we just had uh, some G3 servers that were a couple file servers. But during the interview, all of the tech questions had to, were about the Macintosh, right? Well, I didn't have money for Windows on my home computer, so I obviously didn't have a Mac, right? I mean, love them or hate them, they're pricey. Mm-hmm. And what I did, I knew that going into the interview... And so I downloaded this uh, emulator that ran on Linux or Windows. I don't remember whatever I was running on my, my home computer. And it was like a super old version of Mac OS that it emulated. But I did as much as I could in this tiny little emulation window. And when they asked me questions, I said, uh, I'm not terribly familiar with how things work right now. Historically, what I would say is blah, 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 blah. And I'd say, and most of my experience is with an emulator. I, I was I was honest. Okay. I said, I, you know, I, I wanted to be able to get an understanding of what I'd be working on. And so I did the best I could. And actually that impressed them that I had gone and got an emulator. And even though my questions or the, my answers to their questions were several generations of technology outdated, the fact that I had, you know, learned 
stuff about it was was impressive. So yeah, I, I got the job that I probably shouldn't have gotten. And um, after all of my uh, probationary periods, I I stayed on. So that's yeah. that's amazing, and that's mm-hmm. such good advice for someone who's like trying to apply for a job where they maybe can't afford to mess with Cisco equipment or. Um, Windows or Windows Server or anything, which is way mm-hmm. easier nowadays to get your hands on. But right. yeah, just to to show forth the effort of trying to do it. So like back then, doing an emulator sounds really really hard. Yeah, it sounds complicated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're like, why don't you just say virtualization? It's because virtualization didn't work, didn't exist. There was oh, no such yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised emulation there were is different. Yeah, right? I'm surprised you had an emulator there. I, I'm surprised yeah. you found an emulator. Yeah, and found a way yeah. to do that. Because I mean, I think. We had one computer in my house at the time. That's only because our dad was an IT mm-hmm. guy, and he's had an old computer that he brought home. I can't imagine what it was like back then. Um, and for, first of all, how did you even get your hands on Linux? Like you installed it via floppy drives, right? Where'd you get those? Yeah. So I, I honestly don't remember, and I've tried to think about that for a while. I don't know. I think I had them oh, because okay. I think while I was, you know, in the job, you know, the Unix job and stuff, I, I'm sure that my boss had given me stuff to, you know, like, hey, you should really learn this and stuff. So I think I just, I think it was sitting around the house. I, I think is is basically why I had it. Um, I don't think I procured it from anywhere. I lived in northern Michigan. There's no way that I could have gotten Linux anywhere around, right? I mean, there's right. just nowhere to go for that and I'm in 1999. So, I'm just so curious about the process because, like, I mean, I imagine you probably only had one computer in the house, right? And yeah. you you basically destroyed Broke it by it. putting Linux on it. And then you can't Google anything to figure out how to fix yeah. it again because oh, you don't have a computer. No Google, man. So you just had to figure it out. That's so impressive. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm so helpless without Google right now. I don't right. know how you do that. Man. Yeah, it's... um. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was a learning, learning experience, right? There's a reason Google exists now, because that sucked. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you got this technology director job. Uh, yeah. Where do you go from there? Uh, so from there, and that was, I mean, 12 years, it's a long time in a, in a job. Um, and a part of the, it, it was a struggle. Uh, I was a young guy. I mean, I was 23, um, 23, 24, 23, I think. Uh, and... Uh, I'm sorry, I don't know how old you guys are, but to be 24. A, okay. Yeah. Okay. So imagine being in charge of an entire school district with, you know, full of computers and budgetary decisions and all of these things that you're like, I, I, I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, so my budget was slashed. Like when I started, I had no clout to like try to push for more money or anything. And the person with the bond uh, left when the bond money ran out. So there was just no money in technology. So I actually implemented Linux solutions in the school. So we needed new file servers. I didn't go for a PowerMax server because they're expensive. What did I do? I installed Linux on hardware that was there. Or no, I, I, that's not true. I got old Dell servers from eBay. And this isn't wow. a like professional environment, right? But I got old servers, old Dell servers, and I installed Linux and um, NetaTalk, which is a file server for Apple. And that's where our files were stored and stuff. I actually wrote software this is actually amazing to me even because it was pretty amazing software i wrote a login screen so when the computer would start up it would you would see a login screen and you would have to type your login and password to get in and then it would mount your thing just like a normal login procedure but imagine inventing all that from scratch right nothing existed there was no there was no centralized authentication i had to come up with all that so it was all based on linux servers because that's what i had learned that's what i knew what the heck? So That's how, crazy. What language was that written in? Uh, oh, because it was Mac software. I don't even remember. Whatever the, I, I honestly don't even know what it's what it would be called. Part of it was <laughs> Apple Script, but I mean there was a GUI portion of it. Probably still all Apple Script. 
was just really, really big and, and intense. And, um, and it wasn't secure. I mean, if you sat down with the computer and you like, I, I don't know if you're a, a Mac, but you do like the command. It's not, oh, it's command, not open Apple, but the command option escape. And, you know, you can like cancel stuff out. Mm-hmm. You could do that and just cancel the login window. And then you'd just be there with nothing mounted and um, you could do whatever you wanted. You could erase everything on the computer. There was no security oh, wow. in, involved. You'd get in trouble if the teacher caught you. That was about it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was a hack job, but I mean, it worked and it didn't cost any money. And so I was there for 12 years. And the only reason I left is because uh, school school finances got worse and worse and worse. And they were starting to um, do more contractors and for IT work. You know, the, the on-staff IT person was kind of going the way of the dodo bird. And I needed I needed um, insurance. So, so I left. And I went from there to a university. <laughs> where I was uh, a department manager of uh, the database department for a university down in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I was so unqualified for that job. It was a Microsoft shop. So it was all SQL database servers. And I was the boss of four different uh, database developers. It was the, I, I, I guess I just interviewed well because I should not have gotten that job either. <laughs> so this whole story uh, but, is like how Sean BS'd his way into all these jobs, right? <laughs> pretty much. Just, just and that goes it. along with, uh, you know, when we're done talking about my weird shady past, I'll talk about what I'm, my future desires are because, uh, yeah, I, I got to try all these things that I shouldn't even have been qualified for, but I did. And um, that's close to the where the part of the story that you know. I, I left after less than a year there. I was only there for... 10 months, I think. Um, and CBT Nuggets hired me full time. So they hired me away for like three times that I was making. It was a no brainer. Um, we moved down to Grand Rapids, but we weren't able to sell our house up here. And so I got offered the job at CBT Nuggets and I could move back to the house that we owned instead of mm-hmm. paying rent <laughs> in the city and make more money and still have insurance. So yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's why we went up. There. What, I don't know how year, long. Let's see. What how year did, did I work start there? CBT? What's that? What year did you start CBT? So I started doing contract work in 2009. Okay. Okay. But I was still working at the school because I started in the school and I can do the math here now with you. So I started in 2000 at the school and I worked there for 12 years. So 2012 was when I left there. I went to the university for a year. So 2013 is when I started uh, as a full-time trainer. Man. And then I quit a year ago. Year about a year ago, I guess, year and a half ago, something like that. So, yeah, I, w- I want to jump into that because I'm really curious now. But, um, so I'm curious, how did they find you? How did you start training? When did you realize yeah, so, that you had the gift um, for that? While I was at the school for all those years doing all those Linuxy things in a Mac environment, most of the time nobody had any clue that it wasn't a Mac server behind the scenes, right? Uh, because that's that's how you get Linux into an environment, everybody, is you just do it and nobody knows. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I also started writing for Linux Journal magazine. Mm. Um, I uh, I made contacts there. I wrote an article. I got I got the cover. Uh, like my I, okay, what I did, I'll tell you because it's kind of nerdy. So I made a an arcade game, a main machine, and I used Linux for the operating system. I bought an old arcade case from like some vendor around the area, brought it home, stripped it out, put a computer and a monitor in it, and then I. I actually took apart a keyboard because there weren't really controllers for making MAME controllers. You actually had to tear apart a keyboard and a keyboard has this uh, grid. It's like an XY coordinate grid that uh, determines which key you're pressing. And so I had to map out each individual one and then 
uh, wire a grid to the joystick controller. Anyway, it was super nerdy and really worth an article. So I wrote an article on it uh, with pictures and it got accepted. They put the picture of my uh, thing on the cover. I think, can you see back there? The red thing in the corner? Yeah, yeah, Maybe. I see it. I see it. Okay, that's the very first issue of Linux Journal I was ever in. And um, I wrote a couple other articles, and then they hired me. So then I was a staff writer and editor for several years until they, they went out of business. And that is how CBT Nuggets found me. They actually approached a really close friend of mine that was a writer at Linux Journal. He had also written a bunch of Linux books. Kyle Rankin, great guy, um, still really close friend. And he said, you know what? I do not want to do videos. It doesn't appeal to me at all, but there's this guy from Linux Journal that um, he's he's crazy. In fact, so if you go to Linux Journal Online, the YouTube channel, and you scroll back like 13 years, you will see me doing nonstop YouTube videos, uh, crazy product reviews, and just the stupidest tech tips, and uh, really, I mean, four by three format because widescreen wasn't invented yet, but, um, I was a video guy for Linux Journal, and so Kyle told CBT Nuggets, you should check this guy out. They contacted me, and, and the rest was history. So I remember a while back, I looked up your old stuff, and it's it's amazing. What what an archive to have, because like it, it, it definitely dates you, and it's incredible. It does. It was awesome. And it, the sad thing is I don't have control of that either. That does make me sad, <laughs> right? I mean, it's not my channel. If you go back on my channel, you'll see uh, my all-time most famous YouTube video is me breaking into my van. Uh, <laughs> I showed people how to break into a minivan and that's gotten the most views of any video I've ever made, but when all did, my old Linux hacking? journal stuff. <laughs> Physical <laughs> penetration testing. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, but yeah, it's all out there still. And you can see uh, a very young me talking some really nerdy stuff and reviewing products. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. We're going to have to play a few of those clip, clips on here. Cause it was, yeah. it's pretty awesome and hilarious. Yeah. Um, you were doing some so, bits here and there and talking about Linux back in the day. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. And we did, we did all sorts of things. Like, uh, we took a hundred of the tech tip videos that I did. I mean, I did so many of them, a hundred tech tips and we made a DVD that oh, Linux man. journal included in one of their yearly things. I still have like DVDs, like 101 Sean powers tech tips. <laughs> so, oh my yeah. gosh. That's crazy. That's hilarious. And you made a DVD. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's weird. I know. Right. It is weird that at that point, so like 15 years ago, I mean, I was the guy that was recognized at conferences and I was, you know, a keynote speaker at like Ohio Linux Fest and stuff. And then I got the job at CBT Nuggets and it's like a different sort of environment of, uh, I don't, don't want to say fame, but it's like, you know, I was known for something completely different. So um, I'm looking forward to what the next stage of of Sean Powers is because I don't I get to make it up on my own now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like CBT, definitely a cool job. Uh, one of the yeah. best jobs I've ever had, besides working for myself. Uh, except the boss is a jerk. Um, <laughs> so, and it, it's a different different situation. And so, so you're saying that your fame in the Linux world kind of changed when you worked at CBT? Like it didn't grow? It went away. It went away. It completely went away. And it's And again, yeah, I agree. CBT Nuggets, my favorite job that I've ever had. Um, but I'm separated from from the world, right? I mean, I'm separated from the end user. I'm separated from the consumer. I'm separated from, you know, I'm not speaking at conferences. I'm not, uh, also the economy crashed. I mean, back then, you know, I was getting flown all over uh, to conferences and stuff and then nobody had money anymore. So <laughs> I didn't get to fly all over. Uh, but the the fame, so to speak, uh, it went away and everyone was like, oh, I, yeah, I remember him. <laughs> 
<laughs> and it's it's cool. I, I'm not upset though because um, now I get to I get to start over and do just what I want, and it's pretty great. I still have a job. I actually still uh, tangentially work. Uh, for CBT Nuggets related stuff. I'm, I'm just a sysadmin. I'm not making videos anymore. Um, I'm just a Linux sysadmin uh, doing some work there. So uh, right now, um, yeah, I'm still doing Linux. It's crazy. That, so, so that's you, all. You switched from, and we, we can include or not include parts of this in the actual podcast, but so you, so you <laughs> switched uh, from become, uh, being a trainer to just being a sysadmin. Uh, I'm assuming <laughs> you're managing the Linux servers in AWS? No, these are, no. Um, yeah, I don't know what, I know, I know. Um, no, actually I, I am. So I know that I'm allowed to talk about some stuff. There, there was some privacy issues for some of the projects I was doing behind the scenes before, but that's not the case now. Right now, um, my, my job is managing Filecoin servers, uh, crypto. Um, I've done a lot of crypto work behind the scenes for a lot of years. Hmm. Um, I, I sold thousands of Bitcoin for $2 each. Oh. You do the math. Um, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, now I'm managing uh, like five different data centers, six if you count my farm, um, doing Filecoin mining and IPFS storage and stuff like that. So that's just managing Linux servers, headless Linux servers all, all right. over the you country. You said so many things. That we're going to have to just, we're gonna have to like reverse <sighs> Sorry. and, and Pick it talk apart, about yeah. this. Filecoin. Yeah, what is Filecoin? What, what, what is that? <laughs> so Filecoin is a, a crypto-based storage Thing. So are you familiar with, let me take a sideways step or a step back further. Are you familiar with, are you familiar with IPFS? Yes. I'm not. So I'm, someone here, and including this guy, is not going to know what IPFS is, so tell us. Okay, I'll give you the very quick version of IPFS. Give us First the, of all, give us IPFS the nugget is, version. Yeah. it's so incredible. IPFS stands for Interplanetary File System, and uh, that's because it's designed to work everywhere. Like if we get an IPFS node on Mars, it'll just work. And the, the core concept is you no longer address files based on where they're stored. You only address them based on their hash. Now this is, this concept isn't completely foreign. Like a lot of times if you're doing like blob storage, you just like reference the, mm -hmm. the actual hash. Well, uh, the way this Merkle tree thing works, you have a file or a folder full of files and it's broken up into this big elaborate hash that is kind of like a tree and the very top of the tree is a CID, and I do not remember what that stands for. But anyway, CID is, and it's the, you know, it's just text, you know, it's just a hash. Um, and that is how you reference your file. So if you're going to move your file, you move this hash, like, you know, copy this hash to that hash or whatever, or to this uh, hash. And then the actual location of the file is on the IPFS network. It's peer-to-peer, -peer, kind of like Bitcoin works. It doesn't work as smoothly as Bitcoin, which is a very big frustration of mine. It's still young. Um, but you reference a hash. And then if you want to make sure that you have access to that hash, you can pin that hash to your local node. And then that hash is stored on your node. But when you reference it, you don't reference like this spot on my node. You still reference the file on the IPFS network by its hash. And then your node goes to the IPFS network and it says, hey, I got it right here. There's you know, it's right here. Um, if not, it says, okay, IPFS network, you know, interplanetary system with billions of nodes. I need this hash and any node that has it just sends it. And it sends it over the same type of TCP connection that you would get it from your local node. So uh, from a, from a abstracted point of view, you don't know where it's stored 
apart from you can st you can pin something to your local node so it's fast, uh, but it just lives on the network. And so, whoa, that's the, crazy. The so idea there is storage essentially. It yeah, well, the, we're not to we're not to um, no, we're not to Filecoin at all yet. This is not crypto. This is completely separate. This okay. is just file storage on people's computers, right? So, so, so how, just so how do they keep track of it without a ledger? Uh, it's all a peer-to-peer -peer network. It's all hashes. And so I, when I create a file and I turn it into a hash, like say I have a text file and I turn it into a hash, then my node knows of that hash. And so then there's routing between the nodes. And if somebody else is like, anybody have a file named this? Then it would say, you know, ask its node next to it. And it would say no. And it would branch out with this, you know, mm -hmm. complicated routing thing. And eventually my node would say, oh yeah, I got that. And send it along. And ideally that happens super fast and happens with like, if multiple people have it, it works like Bitcoin or not Bitcoin. I'm sorry. It works like uh, BitTorrent where everybody sends it. So you get it super fast from all over the world. Okay. And another really cool aspect of it is let's say that I wanted to uh, make sure that I had a copy of my particular files that I have hashes for. And if you have the hash, you have the file, right? The, the file is the hash. Then I would say, um, let's spin up a node in AWS or a company who's a pinning company. Say, I want uh, to make sure that these files are on the network. So I need you to pin this hash, this hash, and this hash. They pin it. And all of a sudden, as soon as it's done syncing off the network, which at first it's just for me, cause I just created it, then it's stored there. So I know that it's always going to be on the IPFS network readily available because it's pinned on somebody's node. Man, so I, the way I'm imagining it, I, I like just kind of reiterating. So it's a massive distributed file store, file server, and then kind of also a database. Basically. And yeah. um, now, when you, is, is it, who is it for? Like, are you, do you have files that are like you may not want to share with someone, like a company file, and you could like not have that hash distributed, or is that not for that case? So. IPFS itself does not offer any sort of protection. What you could do is share the hash of an encrypted file. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. So essentially, so then if, the hash doesn't do anything to, for anybody. If you're deciding to put it on IPFS, your your intent is to have it spread around the world. Like there's there's no control. Available everywhere. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. That's wild. But, That's a lot. I mean, yes, and also no, because nobody's going to want you know my third grade PowerPoint. So it's never going to leave my node, right? But it's mm -hmm. if it's going to be on the IPFS network, it's going to be pinned on my node. And if I want to have a backup, I just set up another node and say, pin all the same files. And then it's synced between those two. So and then if I'm ever on Mars and I say, oh, crap, I forgot my third grid PowerPoint. I just connect to the IPFS network and get the hash because it's on my <laughs> nodes. So la last question before we jump into Filecoin, yeah. if we can. Um, yeah. Actually, where did that question go? It was, is it on Mars now? Dang it, can I fetch it? <laughs> Do you know the hash? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So is there like a discovery mechanism to find files, like searching, or is it just you have to know the hash? Uh, no, no, because uh, a file, you, you create a, a hash by hashing a file, right? I mean, that's how, that's how it's created and chunks mm -hmm. the data up into different things. So, you know, Oh boy, I could go way into the weeds with how it's actually chunked out and how <laughs> I, I know are you're like you're really just skimming it for us right now. Yeah, it's, it's, but I'm, you don't I'm curious you don't know what it is. I mean, all you know is it's a hash and there's data behind it. You have no idea what it is mm. unless um, you know you get the whole hash and like you could 
scan the file that you've created with that hash, you know, on your local computer or whatever, and maybe figure out it's a JPEG or it's a document. But is there, a hash is, like, is just a hash with data. Is there metadata on the hash at all, or is it just just the hash? If you put metadata on the hash, there might be. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, most files, the first few bytes are some sort of metadata, you know, like what kind of file is it? And sometimes you could just, you know, if you take the extension off and you look at a hex, you know, editor you can see what a file is usually but mm. no the, the point is not to discover files the point is to uh reference files in a in a by hash not location okay so it takes the location out of the out of the picture so you're running ipfs and you're you're managing multiple data centers that are running ipfs is that what they are yes and and part of that is uh so that we can provide for clients, which we're not yet, but I mean, provide clients for redundant um, multi-point connection to download. I mean, it'll download from multiple places at once, ideally, like BitTorrent, but you know, for the good, not that BitTorrent's always for the bad, but you know, it gets a bad rap. Uh, the idea is that we would pin files in multiple locations so that they're always available. If one goes down, it doesn't matter. It's still pinned in multiple locations and the IPFS network can support it. And that's where um, and that's where Filecoin comes in. So Filecoin adds a blockchain on top of the IPFS um, network that guarantees storage. Because let's say that I tell you, um, hey, Chuck, Cameron, I need you guys to set up some nodes, IPFS nodes, and I want you to pin these hashes, and I want to make sure that they're always there. You could say, sure, take my money and not set up the, the node. What am I going to, you know, what am I going to do? Um so Filecoin is a way to guarantee the storage. And basically it's a it's a blockchain, so there's a record and then there's collateral that's put into a block of data that is stored. The back end of Filecoin is IPFS, but you don't generally see IPFS when you're using Filecoin. It's just a, okay. that's what the technology that Filecoin uses. Man, so. that, that's a new rabbit hole to jump on. Yeah, that's, thanks that's, a lot. There goes crazy. the rest of my afternoon, that's crazy. Sean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, now I'm curious now, what's the... Point. Like, so you're saying we, is this like a new company or a new venture from a company that you're doing? Yeah, I don't know how much I can talk about that. It's, right, uh, right. Uh, I mean, Filecoin is, it's guaranteed storage. That's what it is. It's guaranteed uh, storage that you can have, you know, guaranteed multiple copies, guaranteed um, longevity. It's a contract type thing and it's all uh, trustless. It's all done via um, collateral. Both the person who wants you to store data and the person storing data has to put collateral in uh, the Filecoin currency, a token, in order to guarantee that um, if I don't store it, I lose money. So I'm going to store it because I'm financially motivated. And um, yeah, it's just a guaranteed archival storage. A lot of NFTs are being stored in Filecoin right now. So is that like whenever you store something is like the the amount of money you have to put in to guarantee its storage is that like bigger the the bigger the file size is hmm. or the longevity of storage okay. interesting, um interesting. yeah so yeah I, and it's a bidding system it's a peer-to-peer -peer system it gets like that could get really deep into yeah. the weeds too and Golly. i'm i'll be honest i'm i'm not sure that it's the best system <laughs> out there so <laughs> So, so, yeah. so you, you're running IPFS as the the back end, so to speak, and then you have uh, Filecoin kind of the front end and the distrib distribution for it. And I guess Filecoin is the way that this venture is making money. It's kind of Correct. like mining. Yeah. mining and they're storage. separate, to be honest. Like we're, we're doing both. Um, but IPFS is, in itself is what Filecoin is built on, but we, I don't manage IPFS for the Filecoin server stuff. I manage IPFS because it's awesome. 
And because it's awesome, Filecoin also uses IPFS. It's just coincidence, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so many questions. I and I'm trying to choose them because like we'll be here all day if I ask them all. <laughs> um, uh, dang, I don't know. Yeah, my brain's just exploding with. I'm sorry. The possibilities yeah. of this and what is it? <laughs> I thought. I told had... you you should have limited me what I could talk about. <laughs> no, no, this is awesome because you know, Cameron and I we've we've definitely gone down the crypto rabbit hole, mm-hmm. and I've never heard of Filecoin. Oh, that was that was my question. Is this like an an open source, well aware thing, or is this something that said company has invented? What is this? Yeah, so uh, the company that came up with it is called Protocol Labs. They are the people who came up with IPFS. And they got a butt ton of funding. I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars of, of funding. And they uh, have developed IPFS, but then on top of that, they developed a you know a secure storage blockchain system too yeah. called Filecoin. So it's the same company that's developed both, but they have um, like hired developers and, and they're making the system more and more robust. But it's so brand new. I mean, I said I don't know that it's the best, and that's because it's not done, right? I mean, it's <laughs> it's been a year or so, but... Um, you know, hopefully they still keep making wise choices and it can be more and more usable because it's very much the back end. There has to be some third party front ends to make it usable for the yeah, end person. I'm, kind of, I'm trying to think like, who is this for? If I wanted to put a file on this, I would have to know how to transact it with this blockchain. And there's no yeah, and, fancy GUI to do that. No. So what you would do is like use a third party tool like, um, oh gosh, what is the name of the company? I don't remember, but they basically have made buckets, right? Um, and it's a competitor to AWS buckets mm. where you can store data programmatically. They've ad- abstracted Filecoin out in the back end, but you can also do things like, all right, I want to you know, have my bucket of data, but I would also like to spread that amongst several Filecoin nodes and if you can do that programmatically so that all the deal making and stuff is done behind the scenes, it starts to become a really useful unlimited storage, you know, in the cloud. But it's also you have the ability to um, say how redundant you want it, how quick you want it, um, that sort of a thing. So, again, I, the the ideas that they have are great. We're just not quite to the usable stage of it yet. So practically speaking, if I wanted to get a server put it in my house, install IPFS on it. This, is, and this, try this to, isn't hypothetical. This means you're hypothetically, do it. <laughs> realistically, when I do it tomorrow, uh, and I and I set up a Filecoin node, um, first of all, how's the process in doing that? And is it worth it? And how much money is involved in this? Is it? There's a lot of questions there. IPFS node, you should do. IPFS node, it's completely free. It takes very few resources. It's just cool technology, right? I just, mm. I like IPFS. I don't even have a terribly practical use case for it right now. <laughs> but there's things where um, there's IPNS, the IP um, naming system to try to like get DNS to go along so it'll map things to the IPFS backend. And so all of that, you know, it's just research IPFS. And um, I was just on, what was I on? Podcast. Oh, uh, uh, Reality 2.0 podcast uh we talked about um ipfs a little bit and um you can host websites on ipfs but it's all brand new right i mean it's it's super cutting edge stuff but it's cool it's fun and that part's for you the file coin part of it i do not recommend getting started with because <laughs> challenge accepted <laughs> because, because the cost for the hardware required is unreal what is it what i mean you have to have 
um, the fastest AMD processor, Threadrippers, and you have to have multiple RAID um, NVMe drives, and you have to have a minimum of 256 gigabytes of RAM on your miner, and you have to have uh, really high-end GPUs. We're using 3090s uh, in the servers. And generally for uh, scalability, you need multiple of those at every thing, all running to a back-end storage device where you have to have hundreds of terabytes of storage available, and it all has to be connected with at least 10 gigabit, but 20 or 40 is better. It's it's super high-end stuff. And You're getting it's, it very heavy right now. Sean, I'm doing could, this. <laughs> Sean, I'm doing this. I have Don't. to do it. It sounds fun. I'm also not convinced that it's profitable um, for years. Did you just get fired? Years. <laughs> for years. No. <laughs> I hope not. No. Um, so, okay. Yeah, so, I don't know. so, profit. So, okay. Um, oh, so many questions. Uh, <laughs> so, what, the server. What we talking like? I mean, I, I've never, I can't even imagine putting a 3090 inside of a server. So, what's the chassis look like? Are we talking like a 4U rack mount? What is this thing looking like? Yeah. So, um, the the standard cluster, right? The standard small cluster has a, a miner box which has 256 gigs of RAM, like the fastest AMD processor, either Epics or Threadripper. Um, at least one NVMe on the on the mining box. And then you have to have, you don't have to have, generally you have two other sealing boxes which seal the data and they wrap it up and do all their calculations on it. Um, the one, uh, we have like eight NVMe drives um, that are in a in a striped RAID, you know, for speed. And it, again, has that fast AMD processor. And then the other aspect of the sealing process, we have another one with similar specs, but also then two 3090 GPUs running in it. Um, and then for the backend storage, it's huge rack mount synologies with all the add-on units as well. So And how, and how, how difficult is it to keep these things cool? Uh, well, they're in a commercial data center. So. Okay, okay, commercial data center. So you just put sunglasses on them. They're pretty cool. They <laughs> <laughs> don't. Um, Okay, how did you get thirty nineties? <laughs> That's had, not my part of the job. I don't I, know. <laughs> I had to bribe Nvidia to get mine. Uh, I don't know how you guys did that. Okay, so serious talk here. Um, we may have to collab on a video for this because I'm I, I'm I know I don't have the the know how to do this. I'll yeah. do my best to learn. You didn't scare me away from it. In fact, just tell me I can't do it. Maybe you want to do it even more. It um, isn't can't. I don't know if you should. That's that's not a factor. That doesn't help. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you, you you described a server that has a couple thirty nineties and a ridiculous set of specs just to oh, do yeah. something with blockchain, dude. I'm I'm gonna do this. <laughs> it, it to me it just screams future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds pretty cool. Yeah, and I, it, okay, so um, you're saying it's not profitable for years, and I'm assuming like I mean, godly, I know how much all the the server stuff costs 3090s alone are ridiculous NVMe drives NVMe drives that the epic um server class stuff oh my gosh it's ridiculous uh I don't want to ask you to give away too much company stuff because I know I know I'll get you in trouble yeah um what is let's say, let's say one node what can you expect to make because like I I do bitcoin mining um I know mm -hmm. what's involved with that how is this compared to just typical proof of work mining 
Yeah, it's it's so difficult to compare that because it isn't so it's how much power you have on the network and it isn't based on work it's based on how many sealed sectors you have and so how many terabytes of data you have stored gives you more power on the network which gives you a better chance of mining a block um but the network is growing ridiculously fast so just growing fast enough to maintain your your likelihood of ever finding a block is difficult um yeah so (laughs) also the price of filecoin tanked so even if you do i mean if you're getting into it it's a good time because you need a crap ton of collateral to seal all these sectors Uh, yeah i i think there are much much better ways to make money with crypto okay so we'll get into that actually because i I, you you've been in crypto way longer than i have because you were like one of the original bitcoin guys i know um i was a third of the litecoin network all by myself for for a while. That's so freaking crazy. Sense. Okay, we're going to touch yeah. on that here in a second. But um, goodness, my questions keep going away because I have like 15,000 questions firing in my brain right now on all this. Um, so with Filecoin, uh, oh my gosh, where did the question go? Sean, you scared it out of me. I'm yeah. sorry. Check out, they have great documentation too, the Filecoin thing. They have a Slack. Uh, I, I don't know if you're a Slack person, but they have a mm-hmm. public Slack that... Um, it's a the learning curve is really steep it is the learning curve is stupid steep um but it's um so i know i I know what my question was so okay again you cannot tell me the answer to these questions but said company company x we'll call it is deciding to invest a significant amount of stuff in this hoping that it does eventually pan out into serious money is that what i'm assuming uh yeah i think so yeah that is crazy. And they put you in charge of this. That's <laughs> so fun. In charge of the computer aspects of it, the server oh, right. yeah, aspects. Yeah, like, not like the, and the networking and, and I mean, yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Okay, interesting. What what's the um the server OS? Uh I brand new Ubuntu 20.04. Okay. Simple okay. enough. Simple enough. Oh, that's that is bizarre. So if you ran anything smaller than what you're describing, they just Yeah, they so would... you can you can do a you can do a test uh a demo one. I actually have a we started with a, a test miner, so to speak, an all-in-one box. And it actually has it had two one-terabyte NVMe drives and um, an SSD for the operating system and some spinning media for the actual storage. And it had a, it has, it's still running, it has 128 gigabytes of RAM, and then you have to... Uh, 128 gigabytes of um, swap on the NVMe storage because you have to have like, yeah. And then um, it has the, gosh, it's 3900X. It's an AMD 3900X, not a thread wrapper, but just an AMD uh, Ryzen 9. Um, That's what I'm running in my computer. That's what I'm running right now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's running that and then um, it only has a uh, 2080 um, GPU. Okay. Goodness gracious. Okay. So I'm just curious, man. How did you sell this idea, or did they come to you with it? I didn't. Oh, so they came to you with the idea, like, hey, make this work. Hey, figure out how this works, and that was a, that was, that was, that was something. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> I mean, you're the guy for it. I mean, you had to learn Linux from nothing, literally. That's insanely fascinating. So, okay, now let's move on to there's better ways to yep. make crypto. So, first of all, I would love to hear your, how much time do you have? I don't want to take so much of your time. I can talk all day. That's fine. You can all cut right. this out if you want. 
No, it's cool. No, we'll, we'll keep we'll keep everything in. Um, <laughs> so you describe your first venture into into crypto because like I I got into crypto when it was way past it was cool. Mm-hmm. Like I, I I bought in late. You got yeah, in so early. I I I've never had um, jobs that paid well, so I, it was always a the mining aspect, right? It was never buying crypto, and so um, it started with Bitcoin. I bought on eBay used some um oh gosh they were amd what were they before amd uh a who bought amd which is let's see there's ati sorry i couldn't think of it ati Hmm. was bought by amd anyway so ati uh 5800 gpus they're like uh 5880s or 5830s or something a long time ago anyway I bought them on eBay and put them into some just old crappy computers and just started mining Bitcoin. Uh, Not because I expected to make any money, not because um, I was even all that passionate about blockchain at the time, to be honest. I did it because I wanted to learn stuff, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of, you know, I mean, the thing on my channel, right? My, my motto is learn everything, do what you love. And most importantly, be kind. There, I got my whole slogan in on your podcast. But um, I just wanted to, it was fun. It was cool. And so I, in my office at work, I just had these computers that I set up and they were um, running in the background. And at the time, it wasn't making anything. I was mining two to three Bitcoin a day. Which is unimaginable now. Yeah. And they were worth nothing. I mean, they were, I mean, uh, you know, less than a dollar a piece. What, what you know, year so, was this? And um, what year was that, Sean? Uh, that was, oh gosh, I don't know. You could look back at the pricing whenever it was less than a buck. <laughs> I guess like 2013-ish. Um, maybe, maybe. And so, yeah, I bought these uh, and they were just, it was just fun. It was the technology was fun. I got to see it build up and then, you know, I'd cash it in and we'd have pizza, you know, so not, I didn't like use 10,000 Bitcoin to buy a pizza like the famous one, but, mm-hmm. you know, I would, I would cash it in at Mount Gox, you know, the, you know, are you familiar with Mount Gox? Yes, I am. Magic, Magic, the Gathering Online Exchange, which turned into Bitcoin Central, and um, I didn't lose any money in the Mount Gox crash. Good, but good, anyway, good, good. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I'd I'd sell it there, and we'd get you know fifty bucks, and my family would have pizza on Friday night, and I'm like, I, this was from Bitcoin. How cool is this? So, yeah, that is wild. So did you? And then oh, and sorry, and then and then other things came out. So there was like uh, even in the the first stage of crypto. Uh, they would come and go. Like there's something called Solid Coin, which um, was just run by one guy. It was super shady, and um, but you know solid. I mined a bunch of that and <laughs> traded it in. And then Litecoin came out, and again, all of the all of the cryptocurrencies at first were just trying to solve some of the issues with Bitcoin. Right? Bitcoin mm-hmm. it takes a long time to um, verify or whatever it is confirm the transactions, right? Because there's a block every ten minutes, and then you want like six confirmations. That's an hour before it's confirmed. So Litecoin Litecoin came out and said, "What if we did a block every two and a half minutes?" Well, then you, it would be verified much quicker. And so mm-hmm. the Litecoin network was born. That was the only difference. Uh, and then they also then said, okay, we're, we don't want, um, I think Litecoin might've been the one that changed the hashing algorithm too, so that you, they tried to make it GPU proof. So like you couldn't just get GPUs and dominate the whole network. Mm-hmm. It had to be only CPUs. And that's actually how I managed to be a third of the whole network because I mean, it's hopefully the statute of limitations have worn off by now, but, um, we had Linux thin clients all over the school district. And so oh at gosh. night they're like, you know what? They're all turned on at night. They're all running CPUs. 
what if I made a Linux image and booted and they all did some cranking in the background at night? And so they did. So we had like, you know, 300 computers that were all doing this silly little Genius. computation in the background. Um, yeah. So, I mean, and, and that made nothing. I mean, Litecoin was literally worth nothing then. It was, you know, make a hundred thousand of them a day and it was worth nothing. So how much, were, so you were making how much per day? I don't, I don't even remember. I, I don't remember how much they, how big the blocks were, but I mean, you know, a block every two and a half minutes and that was a third of the network. So. Holy crap. Sean, how, okay. So it sounds like you, you, you flippantly sold it here and there. Did oh yeah. You, did you at least hold on to some? No, to where we're at no, now? I'm terrible. Oh. No, nothing. I have nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Man. That is, that, I have, yeah, I have nothing, but, um, it was still fun. And I, you know, I joke about how depressing it is, right? I mean, if I would have saved some of those Bitcoin, I could be retired, but I don't want to be retired somewhere. I like what I'm doing now. So I, um, yeah. Well, yeah. Cause like, I assume even if you would have kept, you know, 500 Bitcoin, you know, just give or take, um, you still would be doing what you're doing now. And that's exactly the case for me. Um, I don't know. I, I, I hope I would because I like what I'm doing now, but I don't know, you know, I don't know what money would do to me. Maybe it'd make me a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> that is, um, that's a hard story to hear, but no, yeah. it's, it is what it is, right? Like that's, mm -hmm. there's so many stories like that and no one could have anticipated it being like mm -hmm. this at all. Um, well, I mean, if I would have bought Apple back then, I'd be rich too. I mean, there's yeah, all sorts yeah. of things. Same that, you story, know. same story. You, yeah. just, you just didn't own Apple at the point. <laughs> yeah, when yeah, I started, it was, uh, you know, Apple. Steve Jobs just came on board. So <laughs> again, back on board. Yeah. So what are you doing with crypto now? Uh, Besides right PowerPoint. now, just my day job. I mean, to, to be quite honest, it's just my day job now. I, you know, I, I think that uh, the, <sighs> I know that you're a, you're an NFT guy. I, I'm frustrated with um, the NFT world because I think that it is, well, maybe it's adding value to get more people interested. I'm frustrated because I think that uh, the idea of um, non-fungible tokens have so much better use case than they're currently being used oh, for. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like the the when when I first went down the rabbit hole of NFTs, it, it drove me nuts. I went down the whole thing, board apes. I, I looked at all this stuff. So the Solana NFTs. You're right. A lot of it's like, what's the dang point? Because mm -hmm. it's just like social club. It's all about the hype. Um, what I'm excited about is the actual use cases. The the using nfts as you know movie tickets or concert tickets and and so many mm -hmm. more applications that i think will be end up really being very cool but that's not what the the news articles are about that's not the headlines right no and i and i think that uh, the reason i'm frustrated with it is because um i think it's tainting the notion right it, it's you know i mean it yeah i don't know I, I'm, I'm frustrated because i think that there's so many awesome things that could happen and there's just people who are going to make a ton of money and lose a ton of money and it's going to be you know people are going to be mad at the rich people and the the people who lose the money are going to be frustrated and yeah so what you're telling me yeah. is um there'll be a sean powers nft collection coming out next month <laughs> i thought about you know i have a web comic yeah, but i've been it's almost a that. year now like you have a web comic and I, i've yeah. been looking at that it's been very cool to see you create a comic Thank out you. of thin air that's amazing it looks great yeah but with, and, okay this, you, you can verify have... this so we were trainers at cbt nuggets together the running joke was how bad of a drawing drawer i am an artist i am right oh, yeah. i, mean, it I was reviewed like a lot of your joke. videos and you were one of the worst for sure. <laughs> yeah and so now i have a, a web comic that i've drawn it'll be a year um this month actually I, I, that i haven't missed i do it six days a week and 
uh, the other day I posted a comparison, like when I first started and like the same characters now. That. And it's like, mm-hmm. holy cow, I can't believe that that's me. Uh, but anyway, because of that, when NFTs were coming, I'm like, hey, I could just make NFTs of my webcomic characters, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I absolutely could. I could have like a whole set of mm-hmm. blues, like blue squares, one of my characters. I could have with all different backgrounds and I could probably, I could probably be rich right now. But it was a, a moral decision on my part. Like, no, I don't want to bilk the system for money if I don't believe that this is a, a, a real good purpose for NFT. So I didn't. What I would love to see you do is create it and then all proceeds go to a charity. Robin Hood, that's Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I get it. I do. I get it. I just I have such high hopes for, for the web stuff <laughs> i don't think it's gone yet i think we'll still get what you're thinking we're going to get like i think people are going to start implementing that once this whole nft wave is kind of subsided and mm-hmm. everyone stops mm-hmm. obsessing and glamorizing the the next price this board ape sells for i think we'll finally get past that and start getting to real use cases but i i will be one of the first purchasers <laughs> of your nft collection that'd be very okay cool. i would love to All see right. that just, and, and like like you said it's just a techno it's a fun way to figure out hey how do i do a randomly generated uh, NFT collection, which is a fun project. Um, yeah. I would love to see that. But you got to make it on I, Solana, so, though. Yeah, Solana. The pricing is what hurts me so much. It shouldn't It shouldn't generate the money it generates. That's what just crushes my soul. <laughs> I mean, somebody is spending so much money on something that, I mean, I know I sound cliche, but it's just not worth anything. Did you see the Olive Garden NFTs? I mean, no. <laughs> no? Okay, so... <laughs> When we're done here, Google the Olive Garden NFTs. You, they're sold out because they're NFTs, but it's an NFT of every Olive Garden in the country. And you could also get free uh, breadstick tokens if you at any time you wanted, but the NFTs of every Olive Garden. And it's just a picture of an Olive Garden from like their Google Maps that somebody made an NFT of every single one and they sold them all. That's wild. Okay, so it was th- th- genius, I, but stupid. Yeah, there's there's plenty of really really bad examples, and I you're a Gary V guy, right? Like you watch Gary V. I like Gary V. Yeah. So yeah. he do, didn't pick me as a winner. So back in the day when he was doing Wine Library, he used to do this thing where he I would like you hey, do a Gary competition. V, yeah, yeah. yeah, you met him. And right? You met Gary V. I did not. Everybody else at Linux Journal did. I wasn't there. Oh, and they did say they did say that. Uh, you know, my thought was, I wonder if he's really a I did, you know, because he's kind of, he's got the bro kind of feel to him, but um, everybody at, at Linux Journal said, no, no, he's genuinely a very, very nice person so who treats people very well. And yeah, so that's good to know. You know, I like him because of that. So that, that, that leads me to my next question. How do you feel about his big foray into NFTs? I haven't watched a lot of his NFT stuff. Um because he he also has a different motivation than I do, right? He really does want to um, uh, build businesses and and make mm. the and make money, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's just that doesn't motivate me, right? If I, if I just make a ton of money on NFTs, that I don't think that would fulfill me. So I I have nothing against anybody doing NFTs. That's just something that I'm I don't know. What's let's let's assume this. Let's say um, I'm just gonna poke the bear a little bit. Let's assume yeah, that's fine. Let's assume McDonald's came out with the NFT collection. They may already have. I don't know. They might. But let's say one of the NFTs you can buy is a McCafe coffee cup. But if you buy that NFT, you get free McCafe coffee for the rest of your life as long as you own that NFT. Would that be worth it for you? <laughs> no. <laughs> if you if you actually liked it. 
<laughs> this coffee that I'm drinking out of my spot from my webcomic cup is actually really good coffee. <laughs> so, uh, no, a, again, McDonald's coffee is consistently fine. And it's the consistent part that is there. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So, okay. Um, so, you, so basically right now you're doing, you're, you're not mining on your own stuff. You're not, I'm not. Okay. No. No, can I tell you what I'm doing? Do you want to hear? Do you want to hear what's up in the life of, of Sean? Of course, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, I'm this is my day job doing the the system administration stuff, which I do enjoy. I, I which is good, you know, I enjoy it, and um, you know, it's how I pay my mortgage right now. But I really missed doing videos, right? It, I had a year off where I wasn't doing any videos at all. Oh, I can't imagine and, that. My gosh, because you love yeah. the camera, you love it. I do. I'm a camera whore. It's true. I, I mean, it's it's really disturbing. If you go watch those old Linux Journal online videos, yeah, you'll see I'm really a camera whore. Um, but I, I just, I really missed it. In fact, when you were, when you came on board CBT Nuggets, you were like the YouTube guy, right? Because you actually had a, a YouTube following. I don't remember how many uh, subscribers you had back then. Oh, it was, um, I had like 10,000 subscribers. It was okay. Nothing. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, for the trainers, you were like, you know, that was like YouTube godhood right then. And so... <laughs> Um, you know, you you convinced the company that we could all do some stuff on on YouTube, and so I started doing that, and it was fun. I I did enjoy it, but that couldn't be my focus. You know, I, I had to I had a day job of making videos, and mm-hmm. and there was a weird like, am I competing with myself now? I, is this cool? Can I not do this? It was an awkward situation, more so for you, <laughs> I'm sure, <laughs> uh, because you had a YouTube channel where you're giving stuff away, but also making content for CBT Nuggets. So that was probably awkward all the way around. No, oh, I just ignored all uh, the rules. That was a secret oh, <laughs> until they I changed. See. Okay. Okay. Well, um, so, but I don't have those, that awkwardness now, you know, because I, I'm not making videos for them. Um, and so I started making them just in 2022, actually, I just started adding content to my YouTube channel. And my goal um, is to eventually make it so that I can do it all the time. And um, I'm enjoying it so much more because I get to directly be in contact with the community. Right. Mm-hmm. And see, you don't get this right now. Maybe in the, maybe you guys do in this uh, in the podcast, but right now I, I have just over 2000 subscribers. Right. So I'm a super small channel, but that means I get to respond to every single comment. I get to have conversations on Twitter with people about content and you have, such a community now that you've lost that and be honest that. you miss that i do i do there, yeah. there were people that i used to talk to in the comments every single video i launched and some of those people honestly they may still be commenting i just can't find it yeah. it's it's yeah yeah mm-hmm. so i so I, i'll be honest i'm not planning on stopping and my goal for 2022 is i want to get to like 100,000 subscribers on my channel and that, if it happens or not great but i'm gonna probably be picking on you to say okay how did you how, how did you get to the point where you're still happy and you feel fulfilled if you can't connect to your community like that? Because that I'm glad right now that I'm small because that's my favorite part is being a part of a community. So yeah, if, if you have the answer to that, tell me now, <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah. So the, the key is that, um, I guess I had to shift my focus because I, I, I used to love engaging with each individual person, but now I just kind of look at it as I'm engaging an audience as a whole. If I want to help and reach more people, I can't talk to the individuals. So I just, I, I, I routinely will jump into my YouTube comments and answer answer just random comments and I, I can't answer them all, but the ones I do mm-hmm. get to read and use, that's, that's enough for me. Um, 
Now, I do have a Discord community that we will engage with, and we try to have um, some of the main people that stay consistent, and we'll, we'll you know, uh, graduate those guys to moderators and try to moderators. form that community. Um, so we still have the OGs with us, and we, but yeah, when you get to scale, it's impossible for you to engage. So um, I would say that I'm, I'm just as happy as how it used to be. It's just different. That's encouraging. It's, it's a different. But that's actually way good of, to hear. I, I appreciate that because that was a, that's a concern of mine, right? Um, yeah, it's a it's a huge concern of mine. So. Anyway, I, I want to do it. And so do you want to have a secret too? I, all my training has been on Linux, but that's not what the goal of my, my YouTube channel is at all. I really want people to find joy in what they do for a living. And for me, uh, the tool that has made that happen is Linux. And so right now, at least at the beginning, that's what I can teach people how to do. But it, I don't plan on that being it. Uh, you know, I, I'm doing a talk in the Dominican Republic in May or June. Um, Are you I'll going? be here. Going it's a remote there? talk. Oh, it's remote. a remote okay. talk. Yeah. Um, they, they actually bought me to fly, but I'm not quite there yet. I'm a pretty sickly dude. So um, anyway, but I'm doing this talking and it's I'm going to be their first speaker who speaks English. Oh, wow. Right. It's all Spanish. Right. And but they want to they want their community to um, realize the um, the importance of, you know, being able to communicate. And, and for me, I'm humbled because I, I want to be able to go and speak their language and I don't speak Spanish. I mean, I'm, I'm doing Duolingo now, so I can at least introduce myself in Spanish when I get there. <laughs> but one of the things I learned talking with them is in the Dominican Republic. So now I feel like I'm taking your time. You guys ready to hear some job stuff? Is there, yeah, I, go for it. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, good. Um, so, in the Dominican Republic, if you you can apply for jobs locally in the Dominican Republic, but they just pay horribly, and it's because bigger companies go into the Dominican Republic so that they can hire people at dirt rates, right? Mm. And so the other option is to get a remote job, which COVID has actually made that a little more feasible. You know, get a remote job, but if you get a job, uh, you're highly qualified. You get a job in like the U.S. or in Canada or in Europe and you, you're from the Dominican Republic, you're gonna get like below entry level wages, far below what you should get for your ability. Um, but because the cost of living is lower there, it's like, you kind of like feel crappy, but you're like, I mean, I'll, I'll take a job for far less than I'm worth. But um, it's, it's a weird, it's this weird dichotomy of being overqualified, but because you're remote or because you're not there, it's just weird. Mm -hmm. And, um, my goal in my channel, but in my my the rest of my life, I guess, is just to try to make it so that everybody, regardless of the situation, if you're in the Dominican Republic or you're, you know, somebody like me who's sickly in my home or you live in a big city, you can find a job that is fulfilling for you. And like I said, Linux is just my tool right now, but I don't know what that's going to be. I want to bring in people who hire. I have a friend of mine who uh, does a lot of hiring for uh, tech stuff. And I want to prepare people to, um, you know, get the job that way, do some interviews with those. So anyway, I, all I want to do is make the entire world uh, full of happy, satisfied people, regardless of what their job is. So that's, that's my only aspiration. I love that. And it's, okay. you know, our, our channels definitely align on that goal. Um, oh, and I wanted to say too, the cool part is, so I was watching some of your videos and, um, like, for example, uh, yesterday, yesterday, day before yesterday, I released a video on SSH keys, right? And I, uh, because I released a video or I was searching for SSH keys, you, one of your videos came up and you did it. And I watched and I'm like, oh, I, I like what, what you did there. And I was thinking, 
in a traditional business, it would be like, oh, I'm competing with Chuck, right? I have mm-hmm. to, I have to do something better than Chuck. But one of the things I really like about the whole YouTube world is there's absolutely no competition. There's no reason that I wouldn't say, you know, who else did this great is Chuck. And mm-hmm. it's not like they have to pick one over the other. I just really like that aspect of it, that if somebody does something better or something that I don't want to do, um, I can point them elsewhere and not worry that it's taking away from my quote unquote bottom line. Because, In fact, uh, if, if you study yeah. the YouTube algorithm, it'll actually help you because if oh. um, if they come to your video from your link or from Twitter or whatever, and they get a, a thing that says, okay, uh, or you're telling them, hey, go watch this video, they switch to the next video. As long as they didn't leave the YouTube platform in your video and they continue to watch and keep going and going, you'll be rewarded by the algorithm for that. Oh, so so YouTube's, YouTube's goal is just to keep people on YouTube. If you help that, right. you're going to win. And then I know, like, whenever I'm trying to learn something, I usually don't just watch one video. Oh, like three or four. Because for sure. usually people will make, like, he may make something, but then you may make a video exactly the same, but you include one little thing or two little things that he didn't include. Mm-hmm. And that, mm-hmm. that makes it just more beneficial. And then you'll probably show up, like, if someone watches his video, your video will probably still show up in the little sidebar because it's related. Yeah, we all rise yeah. together. Like, I'll, I'll notice that if, like, sometimes, you know, my, my buddy David Bombo will post a, a similar video within like a week's time frame, and we both rise from the views because they just go back and forth. You see each other's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and everybody teaches different. So that is that is a, you know, it's a really cool bonus. For, and you mentioned, Cameron, at the very beginning, so maybe I'm wrapping up for us because I've gone back to what we started with here, but <laughs> uh, you mentioned pen testing, right? Mm-hmm. I don't remember why, what the context even was, but. Um, your van. So yeah, lock it, getting into the van, your van. That's right, yes. Uh, <laughs> way, to, way to remember, yeah, my brain's getting old. Um, so, um, I already forgot. Oh, the pen test is the absolute last course I made for CBT Nuggets. Mm. Like I, I did the, you know, the CompTIA pen, pen, pen test plus test. I did half of it. And then one of the other trainers took over because I, I literally left halfway through that as a trainer. And I hated the course. I absolutely oh. hated it because at least the first part of it, the non-tech stuff, it was all about how to be a real creepy dude. <laughs> right. I mean, it's it's all social engineering, right? And it's it was all a lot of self-reflection to... for yourself. That must have been weird. <laughs> oh, I just, and it's funny. I just felt I, it was like, I just really did not like it. Right. I just, at the end of the day, I'm like, I, I feel like I know that I'm teaching people to do this, like for the good or whatever, but just putting this knowledge out there just felt bad. I know it's not. Again, I know pen test certification and, and knowing how to do a pen test is vital. Um, but I don't, I don't think that I did a great job teaching because I wasn't passionate about it. Mm. And so, because YouTube is full of people, if somebody wants to learn about pen test, I'm not going to teach them. I'm going to point them somewhere else. You know, if, if hacking stuff is not something that I love, I'm going to, you know, send them to you or David Bumble. You know, you guys both do some, you've, you've kind of taken a, a hacking uh, angle mm-hmm. of late. And so, you know, I'm going to point them that way. And then I'm going to talk about uh, security stuff, like how to secure. And just because I, I like that better. So I don't know. I, I just, I love that uh, there's uh, no competition between the different channels. It's just pretty cool for me. So Yeah, it's awesome. And, and you're you're already going the right direction with your channel because you're, you're coming in with like, okay, I'm going to do what I know and love and that's Linux. Um, and you're going to just, you're going to grab that niche. I mean, you're, you're the guy and you have the personality and the teaching style is just amazing. And then once you get that audience for your niche, then you can try like one thing outside your niche and then try mm. one more thing and you get their audience bigger and bigger. And that's what I, I, when I started my channel, it was just Cisco networking. Cisco that networking. Was, yeah. That was it. That was it. And then I tried Raspberry Pi stuff and then suddenly I got that audience. 
And then I tried a little bit of hacking stuff, a little bit of DevOps, a little bit of Linux, and that's it's just follow your interests. And that's that's the yeah. way I keep my YouTube stuff um, just growing and, and fun for me is I just do what I really want to uh, try and I do what makes me happy. And it's really just going down rabbit holes. Like I've done some crypto stuff. It's done mm-hmm. well. And it did well because I just it was fun and interesting and something new. Yeah, it was fun for you, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was novel. Yeah. I'm like a kid in a candy store, and I think that does come through in a video. It's like, oh, he's interested in this. He's making me feel kind of interested in this. I want to keep watching. And I think that's once one thing. Like that's why you got hired at CBT, and it's why you're you're going to hit the 100k uh, goal by the end of the year. As long as you're like that McCafe, you stay consistently good. <laughs> consistently, <laughs> fine. consistently fine. Oh, sorry, fine, <laughs> fine. <laughs> yeah, I um. Yeah, I, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not worried if I don't hit that, but that's, that's the trajectory I want to go because I want to reach more and more people. That's really it. I just want to reach more people. Yeah. And and that's at the end of the day, when you have that goal in mind and there's no way you can lose, right? It's, you're going to hit at least what, I mean, what what are you averaging now? Like 50, 60 people on each video? Uh, I can, I can look because like any YouTuber, I have a tab open, right? Um, (laughs) So my last video on SSH key pairs has 130 views in the first one day and 20 hours. Which, I mean, so, seems like, yeah. you know, like when, when you try to compare yourself to me, which you never do. Never like, do. It's yeah. like, oh, man. But I remember when I first started out, I remember when I hit my first 1,000 subscribers. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm a freaking big deal now. Like, I remember <laughs> feeling that. I remember bragging to y'all about mm-hmm. it. Um, <laughs> those small wins are, are huge for you. And uh, and I, I remember seeing you a post about it on Twitter or something like those are that's 130 like real live people yeah, yeah. like that's mm-hmm. someone who sat down and clicked and actually heard you speak today if you got in front of a room of 130 people like I don't know if there'd be stage fright or not I would be freaking out that's that's a big deal yeah it's it's it is and I I hope that I I'm sure that it's at a point it's probably hard for you to really get a grasp of what are did you hit two million subscribers yet. You're close. I, you got to be nearing, close. It, it, it'll there. probably be in, in this month. Okay. That's more people than a person can fathom, right? I mean, you mm-hmm. just can't, you can't speak to 2 million people in it. <laughs> that's just, wow. That's it's, just an insane number of people. It's so it's, it's, yeah. such a, it's such a crazy, like when you really think about it, it's insane. And it's also such a privilege. Like it is. And the world is so much bigger than we realize mm-hmm. that um, sometimes those numbers that we can't fathom, remind us of that i think so um i am so amazed at the global reach of youtube too because most of my commenters it's not like it's not like they're people that live near me right mm-hmm. it's not even you know people that live around me it's people from different cultures people with different languages uh people who um yeah it's, it's just really cool i yeah, sorry, well, I could geek out about. Oh, I know. I'm the same way. Like one of my how favorites. the world is getting flat digitally, and I love that. You know? <laughs> Careful with that stuff. We're gonna I get know. flagged. I know. Yeah, that used to. <laughs> We're gonna have like have a, a thing below our video now. Misinformation. Misinformation video. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like one of my favorite comments to get is like when people say, "Oh, love from Nigeria, love mm. from Sri Lanka." I'm oh like, yeah, dude. Like I don't even know what that country's about, and you're like watching me. That's so cool. And I'll get comments that people will just watch my videos to get better at learning English. Like when you know you got people like you and me who were well-spoken and it's so Midwest c- accent. I mean, you're Texan, but got that clear accent without a horrible Southern drawl. That's hard to understand. You know what <laughs> right, I mean? Right, right. So it's like, yeah, it's like standard American male, you know, just accent. And yeah. uh, it's so cool to, to see, like, they're not just watching us to hear us talk about whatever we're interested in. They're, they're learning English. They're, they're getting a, engaged in our culture and hopefully they're getting a good takeaway of like learning things and 
possibly help them find a career, which that's the end goal for for us. And I know for you, it's really cool to be able to do that. Well, it's also cool when they yeah. whenever they're learning English, they're learning it in the right context because they want to get into IT and do IT things, and yeah, they're yeah, learning yeah. English in that type of setting. Because mm-hmm. yeah, you can learn English in a, a watching TV and movies, but you would mm-hmm. not know how to converse in an IT situation. <laughs> right. Yeah. Different vernacular and everything. Um, anyways, we're actually really lucky too because um, because we speak English and I mean that's Mm -hmm. it's unfair but that's the dominant language of the you know professional world or whatever so yeah we I almost feel like I have a responsibility to try to use that luck of the draw that I have to try to I don't know I I, you know I'm thinking about um so I have a bunch of um people who watch that are Spanish speaking I'm thinking Mm -hmm. at some point having a, a translated um, voiceover for other languages is a value that I've seen other channels do. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that would be kind of a, a cool thing to do. I know that Google does a pretty decent job, but it's not, it's not the same. No, not you know, at all. As, in fact, that's so. something I, I want to start working on. So actually, Cameron, can you do that? I'll take a look at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause like most of my, I will, I think my third, if my third biggest audience is out of India which is amazing, but I would love to be able to have my content delivered to them in their natural, you know, their native yeah. language, which would be so cool. And it just opens up the, the world. Cause like the, I mean, come on, when you think about it, the English speaking American, you know, Western mindset world is very, very small compared mm-hmm. to the entire world. We're like just mm-hmm. a fraction of, I mean, you think about India over a billion people, China over a billion people. Um, we're over here like 300,000, where are we at? 300,000 in America or 600,000? Yeah, 30 million. Oh, million, yeah, three hundred million. <laughs> yeah, yeah. three, three hundred th- between three hundred and four hundred. We are, million, we are, so. we're just a little dot on the on the spectrum of things. It's crazy. And the, we're only expected to really learn one language, but like no yeah, one, I think th- that no one can from India. Like they know, like they know like their local language from where they're from, and then some of them will also know Hindi, and then some will also yeah. know another language from All another dialect, another location and, as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. A friend of mine is from uh, Mizoram, and she knows Mizo, but then when she travels around, she has to know Hindi because that's like the standard language in India, mm-hmm. and she also speaks better English than I do because they learn British English, so they sound you know proper. more proper. But mm-hmm. oh yeah, yeah. I, I think the reason more, more, more that uh, English has yeah. been kind of the standard is because we're so dumb here in America that um, <laughs> mm-hmm. we we don't know anything else. Yeah, we can't. And rise so if to anybody them, wants they to talk they to us, to... they like. They have to dumb down to us. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> well, Sean, I don't want to keep you too long, man. Thanks so much uh, for coming fine. on the podcast. And uh, it's great to catch up. Yeah. Oh yeah, because we haven't yeah. talked like this in a while, and it's your your story is so inspiring of how you went from something then to completely nothing, slate a slate wipe clean, and then to learn Linux from floppy disks, uh, from scratch, and then to be where you are now, where you're like you are the Linux guy. Um, you've done so much in your career, and now you're really starting some interesting paths, and you're, you have a YouTube channel that's going to help millions of people, without a doubt. So, guys, if you haven't already, check out Sean Powers. We'll put links below in the description. Check him out on Twitter. He's verified, and I'm not, which I'm so <laughs> jealous of that. Linux <laughs> journal. Got to be a journalist, buddy. That's <laughs> uh, I refuse. Don't tell Twitter that Linux Journal's out of business now, because they might take my checkmark away. But. <laughs> <laughs> it's I, I, That's so annoying. But anyways, um... Yeah, so check out Sean and his verified status. Are you on Instagram too? Are, do you live there? What about I'm TikTok? everywhere, yeah. So if you go to seanpowers.com, seanpowers with a zero.com, it's one of those link tree, but it's not link tree, it's roll your own. And uh, ah, that has all my links. Open so. source, right? You, mm-hmm. you do open source. Everything. It is actually, yeah. It's it's open source. It's called Little Links, and it's actually running a Docker image that another guy rolled up. It's pretty sweet, actually. I'm going <laughs> to uh, make a video on it because it's just awesome. I may try and, it um, there's a link to my webcomic there too, so you should look at that. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah, your webcomic. Check out his comic and his future NFTs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where the collection mm. will be dropped, right? That's right. Yeah. 
<laughs> and uh, oh, I was going to say one more thing. Um, oh, are you on TikTok? Uh, yeah, same thing. If you go to that SeanPowers.com, SeanPowers with the zero dot com, oh, there's a link to TikTok there too. Excellent, excellent. I can't wait. So are you are you putting content on TikTok and Instagram stuff now? Not as much as I should. Uh, so I've been trying to put a short slash TikTok slash real, you know, all those different platform names for tiny vertical videos mm-hmm. uh, on the weekends. I missed this past weekend because the whole world fell apart. But, um, mm. uh, yeah, and um, that's my goal, though, is to put little shorts there. In fact, I think my first TikTok video is a response to you. Uh, you and your wife challenged us to something. And so oh, my wife and I thing. did it. Yes, oh, I forgot about that. Back when COVID, COVID. first hit and the, the whole yep. dance TikTok thing. Yeah, I challenged you. That was fun. <laughs> yeah, so that was my very first TikTok. Yeah, you guys did great <laughs> on that. I remember that? That was awesome. Yeah. Speaking of which, I mean, I, I I do TikTok and Instagram a little bit. I just mainly repurpose my content. But there's a big, big open world and opportunity for people to make dedicated vertical content that's a Linux based, any kind of tech based. So for you to grow i would jump on that and yeah it would it would definitely catch me if there were some like this little linux linux tips TikToks, i'd watch it yeah catch me well so that's what's there now i probably got three or four of them so look at them and if you think that they're the right idea let me know yeah i will i will hey i appreciate that well sean i want to leave our our uh listeners with one more piece of advice from you um for someone who's wanting to get started in it and let's let's focus let's niche down on linux what Mm -hmm. would you recommend be their starting point right now uh, well, see if you like Linux. See if, if Linux is a tool that you like, right? See if that's what you want to have in your quiver of IT. And um, this leads right into a plug, and I didn't necessarily mean that, but I just did finish the Linux Essentials um, certification series. Like, I, if you want to get certified for Linux Essentials from the LPI, hey, there's a mm. playlist on my YouTube channel that you can watch. It's the kind of thing I don't necessarily recommend anybody get the certification because it doesn't really do much for you. But the content is a great way to figure out if Linux is something that you might enjoy, might want to learn more of. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's it. I mean, for someone who has a YouTube channel focusing on Linux, the best place to start obviously would be on your channel. Right. <laughs> the guy has been doing it forever and is an expert and is great at teaching. So, yeah, great place to start there. Well, thank um, you. I appreciate that. All right, man. Well, uh, that's about it. Uh, we'll definitely have to do this again. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we'll catch you guys next Yeah, give time. me a list so I can limit to what I want to talk about, what we're going to talk about, because uh, we're both nerds. All three of oh, us no. are that, this geeky is, nerds. This is where yeah. the fun, like we're, we Joe Rogan style this. We just come up here and talk about what we're passionate about. And if that leads us on to three hours of talking, people cool. have to show up for that. I don't All care. Right, I, got, I got another question for you. If you can cut this off, it doesn't have to be part of the podcast. Bring it on. So do you have, uh, are your... Um, fans slash followers slash community members do they have a name they don't so we we've i've toyed around with it a lot we we tried we, we thought about noobs right? we, we, we tried calling to, we tried noobs. to do noobs but like kind of with the podcast in mind but it's not big enough yet for that to really catch on yeah mm-hmm. kind of like the noob army maybe we're toying with but yeah <laughs> i don't really have a good one unless you like do you have any ideas for me Oh, for for my uh, for you I, I don't know i mean you know i assumed it would be something beard related that just seems to be a so I did research on this because I, I really want it to be a community thing, right? I don't want like believers, whatever a Sean Powers version of that is. I don't want that, right? I don't want it to be all about me. And Chuck, you don't want it to be all about you, right? You want it to be, I mean, you're growing and you know, you want to leave Cameron out. <laughs> so uh, I actually put so much thought into it for myself. And I, I found out that most people do come up with the name themselves. It doesn't grow organically. I 
I assumed that it was just, you know, like uh, Lady Gaga's Little Monsters. I assumed that that was just something that they called themselves. Mm. Most most celebrities or, you know, influencers or whatever come up with the name themselves. So. That, that must be why I don't have one yet. I was yeah. waiting on my audience to do it and they never did. Yeah. Mm. Well, I, I have one for myself. You can't take mine because I bought the domain already. <laughs> oh, there's a bunch of uh, d- domain endings. I can just dot tech dot. There you go. There you go. No, but um, in fact, I've I've started to talk to the community that may or may not even exist yet. Uh, nerdlings. So we're nerdlings. Nerdlings. I like it. Nerdlings. Yeah. Very nerdy. Very spacey. Mm-hmm. Very alieny. I like it. I like yeah. it. Yeah. It's like Zerglings from the old Starcraft, but nerd. Yeah. I like it. So that's that's what I'm hoping. <laughs> I don't want it to be like the anything with my name. So I really wanted to start that ball yeah. rolling in a different direction than my, we my name. So. About that. so getting something more official mm-hmm. for us, but yeah. So if you want to become a nerdling, go find Sean powers right now. If that yeah. name appeals to you. Nerdling.net nerdlings, z- z- plural. I don't own the, I don't own the singular one. So don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, man. Well, uh, thanks again. And uh, we'll catch you guys next time. See you guys later.